Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. When I look in the mirror, I don't see wrinkles. When I look in the mirror, I see hair on my head, not my shoulder. Hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the fountain of truth. The fountain of truth about what? The fountain of truth about aging. Uh, and we are here with Dr. Tara Theogarajan. I'm getting better at that name. And she's the founder of Sapien Labs. Now, what we've been talking about is a study that Sapien Labs has done on well-being. And we ended our last segment with a pretty alarming, and that's uh, Dr. Uh, Theogarajan's word, pretty alarming finding that as older adults, we're doing quite well on the well-being scale. And that scale includes many things, happiness, our cognitive function, our sense of self, self-esteem, acceptance and resilience. But younger generations are not doing well. And I said I was going to say something a little personal. Uh, and I, I re- respond to this with my daughter, who is 28 and did not go into the job market in the same environment as I did. When I went into the job market, you could buy a house easily. You could retire. You had pension programs, uh, which they are no longer pension programs now. Now there are 401ks and IRAs where you have to put the money in yourself. There may be benefits, but they're tax benefits. So many different things at the beginning of her life that are different uh, when I, many years ago, and I think she sees and her generation sees us as quite privileged, and we probably are. And this is what the doctor is also seeing here. So explain, uh, first of all, let everybody know that they can be part of this well-being survey. Tell them how and what the URL is for Sapien Labs and what you're seeing that alarms you so much about what you call Generation Z. Yes, so so this uh, assessment is available at sapienlabs.org/mhq, and anyone you know can take it. It's free and anonymous, and you'll get a report, individualized report at the end, and it forms part of our global mental health million project, which will this year span thirty countries around the world to provide a view of where we all stand collectively. And so, coming now to you know what alarms me the most with Gen Z. Uh, I think the uh, the most alarming thing uh, or statistic I would say out of this uh, data and this research has been that if is the magnitude of difference in h- how much uh, mental well-being has diminished with each successive generation. So if we look at those who are 65 and above, there are you know from a mental health problem point of view, people who are you know have potential clinical diagnoses or are at risk for clinical diagnosis. It's about six percent of the population. When we get down to Gen Z, it's forty four percent of the population. This oh, is not a small number. This <laughs> is a very alarming number because you know when we look in the aggregate, we're seeing you know um, 
with COVID, about 26% clinical or at risk for clinical uh, issue, level issues compared to about 15% um, previously in 2019. But, uh, and that, but the, um, the differential between older and, um, you know, this uh, older and younger has been, uh, you know, prevalent in 2019 as well. And 44% really, you know, you can't, what happens to a society if 44% of the population has uh, clinical level mental health issues? Uh, how does a society function? And so really the concern is that, um, you know, how does this, this generation then age? And what is causing this very significant decrease? And I think you've talked about the job market and certainly what we can see with the, you know, impact of COVID is that financial distress has a massive impact on mental well-being. That, uh, that said, it seems like there are other aspects that are, um, non-financial related that are, um, equally, um, uh, you know, that are also very, very uh, significant. So I think, you know, one of the um, big issues that we see in younger people is this breakdown uh, in this category of, uh, you know, that we call the social self. And um, here, you know, it's all of those things of how you see yourself, you know, self-worth and self-image, your, self, uh, your, your confidence, how you relate to others, uh, perceive others, and, you um, all of those aspects of you and how, you know, how you kind of see yourself fitting into society. And that's where the biggest differences are between the older generations and younger generations. And while we don't have uh, data that tells us exactly, you know, what is driving that, uh, you know, the biggest hypothesis that um, I would have with this is that this is the first generation that has grown up fully in an internet connected world. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, here we're, we've seen other studies and other research showing that, you know, since the internet has, uh, um, that there is a decline in, in uh, friendships. Uh, there's, there's sort of this increasing shift, I, I, I would say, in, in, um, physical in-person relationships being replaced with, uh, you know, um, or a few uh, in-persons, strong relationships being replaced with thousands of, acquaintances or not, you know, or sort of virtual, um, yes. relationships. And I think quantity, not quality when quantity, it comes to not quality. Right. And I think, you know, it's all of these aspects of trust and, and forming relationships and being in relating to others and how people perceive themselves relative to others that seems to be really crumbling. And, um, and that's, that's a very concerning because, you know, this is essential, you know, we can talk about it from the point of view of disorder, but it's also essential from the, for the basic functioning of society, because if we don't relate to one another well, then, you know, if we are going to have a lot more conflict, there's research that shows that people who are more anxious in general will perceive others as more threatening. And, you know, similarly, people who are more distressed or sa uh, sad uh, will see uh, other, you know, see events in more negative light. And so, you know, all of that together, to me, is a very, um, it, it's, it's kind of alarming for what, what the future of this generation is going to look like, you know, how will they age? You know, it's so interesting to me because one of the things we talk about a lot uh, for people who are over 65 is life purpose. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, The world is ageist. We can't fit into the world. Uh, They don't want our skills anymore. We're out of the picture, out of pasture, etc. Meanwhile, we're having a very good time. (laughs) All of us are volunteering. We're working. uh, People are respecting us and so on. And yet the younger generation seems to be much more struggling for life purpose. Much more. PBS, one of our great supporters and and a great uh, gerontologist, Dr. Kenneth Dykwald, is doing a whole series on PBS on life purpose. Just wrote books on life purpose for older adults. But nobody's writing life purpose for younger people who don't see themselves as having an impact in the world. And that is perhaps where is a legacy. One of the things boomers can give as a legacy is talk to people like you and make this anguish clearer. I will also say that that there's one other aspect of this when you talk about how a whole society is being changed by technology. And and I'm going to pose this to you because you've done a global study here, many, Mm -hmm. many countries. I'm on the United Nations Committee on Aging. And what are we trying to do? Listen to this. We're trying to digitize everybody. That's really the truth. We see having access to the computer and access to technology as a positive. And there are places in the world, like you said, your study was mostly English-speaking world that was connected yeah. by technology. But there's a world out there that is not connected. They don't have internet. They're not allowed to use the internet. Many other reasons. They're illiterate when it comes to the computer. Mm-hmm. And we're working hard to connect those. Now, what are we doing here? I'm serious. Are we taking people who are still socially connected one-on-one, enjoying their social relationships, having great well-being, and offering them what is basically junk food for the mind? Because we think being connected technically is so great that we call it freedom of speech, and we say that people who aren't connected are deprived. According to you, maybe we're doing a lot of harm in this world. When we come back, we're going to be talking uh, uh, to Dr. Tara uh, about about what's going on worldwide with regard to this and if there's any differences from country to country in her incredible study. Don't you go anywhere. Full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. da 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 Hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the fountain of truth. The fountain of truth about what? The fountain of truth about aging. Uh, and we are here with Dr. Tara Theogarajan. I'm getting better at that name. And she's the founder of Sapien Labs. Now, what we've been talking about is a study that Sapien Labs has done on well-being. And we ended our last segment with a pretty alarming, and that's uh, Dr. Uh, Theogarajan's word, pretty alarming finding that as older adults, we're doing quite well on the well-being scale. And that scale includes many things, happiness, our cognitive function, our sense of self, self-esteem, acceptance and resilience. But younger generations are not doing well. And I said I was going to say something a little personal. Uh, and I, I re- respond to this with my daughter, who is 28 and did not 
go into the job market in the same environment as I did. When I went into the job market, you could buy a house easily. You could retire. You had pension programs, uh, which they are no longer pension programs now. Now there are 401ks and IRAs where you have to put the money in yourself. There may be benefits, but they're tax benefits. So many different things at the beginning of her life that are different uh, when I, many years ago, and I think she sees and her generation sees us as quite privileged, and we probably are. And this is what the doctor is also seeing here. So explain, uh, first of all, let everybody know that they can be part of this well-being survey. Tell them how and what the URL is for Sapien Labs and what you're seeing that alarms you so much about what you call Generation Z. Yes. So, so this uh, assessment is available at sapienlabs.org slash MHQ. And anyone, you know, can take it. It's free and anonymous and you'll get a report, individualized report at the end. And it forms part of our global mental health million project, which will this year span 30 countries around the world to provide a view of where we all stand collectively. And so coming now to, you know, what alarms me the most with Gen Z, uh, I think the uh, the most alarming thing uh, or statistic, I would say, out of this uh, data and this research has been that if is the magnitude of difference in h- how much mental well-being has diminished with each successive generation. So if we look at those who are 65 and above, there are, you know, from a mental health problem point of view, people who are, you know, have potential clinical diagnoses or are at risk for clinical diagnoses, it's about 6% of the population. When we get down to Gen Z, it's 44% of the population. This oh, is not a small number. This <laughs> is a very alarming number because, you know, when we look in the aggregate, we're seeing, you know, um, with COVID, about 26% clinical or at risk for clinical uh, issue level issues compared to about 15% um, previously in 2019. But, uh, and that, but the, um, the differential between older and, um, you know, this uh, older and younger has been, uh, you know, prevalent in 2019 as well. And 44% really, you know, you can't, what happens to a society if 44% of the population has a clinical level mental health issues? Uh, how does a society function? And so really the concern is that, um, you know, how does this, this generation then age? And what is causing this very significant decrease? And I think you've talked about the job market and certainly what we can see with the, you know, impact of COVID is that financial distress has a massive impact on mental well-being. That, uh, that said, it seems like there are other aspects that are, um, non-financial related that are, um, equally, um, uh, you know, that are also very, very, uh, significant. So I think, you know, one of the, um, big issues that we see in younger people is this breakdown uh, in this category of, uh, you know, that we call the social self. And um, here, you know, it's all of those things of how you see yourself, you know, self-worth and self-image, your, self, uh, your, your confidence, how you relate to others, uh, perceive others, and um, all of those aspects of you and how, you know, how you kind of see yourself fitting into society. And that's where the biggest differences are between the older generations and younger generations. And while we don't have uh, data that tells us exactly, you know, what is driving that, uh, you know, the biggest hypothesis that um, 
I would have with this is that this is the first generation that has grown up fully in an internet connected world. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, here we're, we've seen other studies and other research showing that, you know, since the internet has penetrated, uh, you know, um, that there is a decline in, in uh, friendships. Uh, there's, there's sort of this increasing shift, I, I, I would say, in, in, um, physical in-person relationships being replaced with, uh, you know, um, or a few uh, in-persons, strong relationships being replaced with thousands of acquaintances or not, you know, or sort of virtual um, yes. r- relationships. And I think- Quantity, not quality when quantity, it comes to Quantity, not quality. Right. And I think, you know, it's all of these aspects of trust and, and forming relationships and being and relating to others and how people perceive themselves relative to others that seems to be really crumbling. And um, and that's that's a very concerning because, you know, this is essential. You know, we can talk about it from the point of view of disorder, but it's also essential from the for the basic functioning of society, because if we don't relate to one another well, then, you know, if, if we are going to have a lot more conflict. There's research that shows that people who are more anxious in general will perceive others as more threatening. And, you know, similarly, people who are more distressed or sa- uh, sad uh, will see uh, other, you know, see events in more negative light. And so, you know, all of that together, to me, is a very, um, it, it's it's kind of alarming for what, what the future of this generation is going to look like, you know, how will they age? You know, it's so interesting to me because one of the things we talk about a lot uh, for people who are over 65 is life purpose. Mm -hmm. Uh, The world is ageist. We can't fit into the world. Uh, They don't want our skills anymore. We're out of the picture, out of pasture, et cetera. Meanwhile, we're having a very good time. (laughs) All of us are volunteering. We're working. uh, People are respecting us and so on. And yet the younger generation seems to be much more struggling for life purpose, much more. PBS, one of our great supporters and and a great uh, gerontologist, Dr. Kenneth Dykwald, is doing a whole series on PBS on life purpose, just wrote books on life purpose for older adults. But nobody's writing life purpose for younger people who don't see themselves as having an impact in the world. And that is perhaps where is a legacy one of the things boomers can give as a legacy is talk to people like you and make this anguish clearer. I will also say that, that there's one other aspect of this when you talk about how a whole society is being changed by technology. And, and I'm going to pose this to you because you've done a global study here, many, mm-hmm. many countries. I'm on the United Nations Committee on Aging. And what are we trying to do? Listen to this. We're trying to digitize everybody. That's really the truth. We see having access to the computer and access to technology as a positive. And there are places in the world, like you said, your study was mostly English-speaking world that was connected by technology. There's a world out there that is not connected. They don't have internet. They're not allowed to use the internet. Many other reasons. They're illiterate when it comes to the computer. Mm-hmm. And we're working hard to connect those. Now, what are we doing here? I'm serious. Are we taking people who are still socially connected one-on-one, enjoying their social relationships, having great well-being, and offering them what is basically junk food for the mind? 
because we think being connected technically is so great that we call it freedom of speech. And we say that people who aren't connected are deprived. According to you, maybe we're doing a lot of harm in this world. When we come back, we're going to be talking uh, uh, to Dr. Tara uh, about about what's going on worldwide with regard to this and if there's any differences from country to country in her incredible study. Don't you go anywhere. All of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth, the Fountain of Truth about aging. Just a little bit of bookkeeping before we go back to our guest. Uh, and that is, if you are interested in our newsletter, it is absolutely free. It comes once a week, every Monday, and it gives you hints and tips on successful aging, a lot of fun stuff, a little bit of philosophy, and it keeps you all connected. But most important to me, we have many events, particularly in geroscience, geroprotection, and it invites you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mostly free of charge, almost all the time free of charge, to our webcast and our big, big conference that comes every single year called Targeting Metabesity. Metabesity meaning the common causes of aging and what geroscience breakthroughs are doing. Now, these are pieces of information you really wouldn't get anywhere else uh, because it is another world. It's the world of science and aging and gerontology. And if that's not your world, take a peek into it. You'll be fascinated. How do you get the free newsletter? Simply go to my website, adrianberg, A-D-R-I-A-N-E-B-E-R-G.com, A-D-R-I-A-N-E-B-E-R-G.com, and be part of the Aging Successfully family. So, uh, Dr. Thea Garajan is with us today. She's the founder of Sapien Labs. They've done an incredible study uh, many countries, I think she said 30, that are looking at our own mental well-being. What they're finding so far is that we're doing okay in the world of the older adult or the mature adult. Kids are not doing so great. Uh, young adults are not doing so great in terms of mental well-being. It may have to do with technology and disassociating ourselves from one-on-one relationships, which certainly COVID did not help. 
But let, let me ask you, doctor, one of the things I, 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 my audience knows I ask each person on the air is, what's the most important thing that you want to say? And, and what you said to me was that this is a dynamic situation that has a lot to do with our environment. So explain that. And is it a difference country to country because of different economic environments, social views, and so on that you're finding with regard to mental well-being? So I think that, um, you know, the fundamental uh, finding from an aging or, or generation perspective is that there is a very, very, um, uh, there, there's a successively diminishing mental well-being across all dimensions with each successively younger generation. And this is true, uh, you know, in all the countries that we looked at. And keeping in mind that this particular um, study of, the, of mental well-being has really been focused on those who are uh, English-speaking and Internet-enabled. So in that sense, uh, you know, the countries we've looked at are English-speaking, or in some cases, they are uh, countries with large English-speaking populations. And uh, this cohort of people who are English-speaking, Internet-enabled, it is common irrespective of which country you are in. There are, of course, certain differences when you look at countries on, on you know, some of the manner of uh, these uh, things, you know, some places you might find, you know, more incidents of, ang- you know, more people struggling with anger and aggression relative to other places where people are struggling with being more detached, feeling more detached from reality, or there will be differences along certain, some of these different dimensions. But the overall, uh, you know, phenomenon of this diminishing mental well-being is common. Now, um, that said, like, uh, so, and I I do want to point out, you know, two things that I think are very, uh, you know, that are the most common symptoms in Generation Z. One is um, this uh, feeling of sadness and hopelessness. And and that is 40% of all people in that 18 to 24 age group. And uh, also having strange and unwanted thoughts that, um, you know, uh, an obsessive thoughts, which is, which was quite a surprise, but this is also about 40% of people. So it sort of gives you an insight into the mind of, uh, you know, where the mind of this generation is. Um, I would say the other aspect of it is, you know, where are we going, um, with this and is it technology is, is, because this particular study focuses on the internet English speaking enabled world, we're talking about people who generally tend to be, uh, you know, more heavy internet users. There's the other side of the world as well. And, um, in this part of the world, we, we've actually done, uh, work, um, in India, for example, where we've looked very much at the off grid, um, uh, folks who are Mm -hmm. not in, um, uh, you know, not on the internet. And a lot of people, you know, from very remote areas where they have no access to any kinds of technologies to all the way up to uh, cities. And here we haven't looked at mental well-being per se, but what we have looked at is how their brain changes with consumption of this different stimulus and like this transition to the cell phone. And what we see is um, that, you know, the brain, like in, like unlike other organs, uh consume stimulus to grow and develop itself. So, you know, how the baby, it's not just that it needs nutrients, but it's constantly taking in stimulus from the external world, what it hears, what it sees, what it experiences, and constructing itself over the lifespan. 
And uh, what we see there is that this kind of technology has actually had a massive impact on the brain. It's had a massive impact in terms of the complexity of the brain signal. It has had a massive impact in terms of the energy of the brain signal. So you need technology can actually have it has an impact right you know, on the brain itself. And what we also see is that there, um, you know, this a lot of these changes that we're seeing at that level are pushing toward uh you know, have impact for cognition, for cognition. And so if you ask me my overall, you know, what does, what are, what does it look like is happening? What's the evolution in the world? It's that as we've had more and more technology and access to technology, which expands the, you know, kind of information and the scope of information and all of that, that we're able to access, it's actually had a big impact cognitively. And that's important too. But in the process, we've kind of gone over, bored maybe. And so now, while we still have some of these cognitive benefits, we're starting to see this breakdown of our social self and social relationships, and therefore, which also will ultimately affect cognition. And we're already seeing in younger people like less focus and concentration. So I would say the big message would be that, you know, you can't paint technology all with one common brush. It's really, it's like nutrients for the body, right? I mean, you need nutrient up to a certain point, like if you're, otherwise you're malnourished. So you you do need to have a certain amount of, of food. And so technology can provide like that, the sort of the stimulus that the mind needs to consume similarly. But then if you start eating a lot of junk, that's really bad for you too. But it's not that you don't need food. You need food, but you need good food. And I think that's the challenge we're facing is that yeah we need it it's it does a lot for our cognition and productivity and so on and so forth but it also if you don't use it the right you know in good ways it breaks down other things you know we're we're seeing this as paralleled in many many things Uh, first of all we studied blue zones which are the parts of this world where people live the longest and what mm-hmm. we find is good nutrition, natural exercise, not gyms, not gymnasiums, but natural mm-hmm. exercise, which we cannot do because we're not an agrarian culture, and socialization, a place uh, where people can see each other, meet each other, sit down around a cracker barrel and actually mm-hmm. talk with each other. And uh, the, the truth is, the truth is, Doctor, that when we look at blue zones, very few of them are in English-speaking environments. They're mm-hmm. Okinawa, they're... Uh, in in uh, Sardinia, Sardinica, there's Greece, Georgia, Russia. I mean, places you'd never think. In the U.S., it's Linda Loma, California, and those folks are Seventh Day Adventists, and they they don't touch certain meat. They rest during the weekend for real, not just say they're resting. You know, things like that. So we going back to basics here when it comes to longevity and biological well being. Why wouldn't we think of the same thing when it comes to social and mental health? But I, I do I do want to say one thing before we go on to our next segment. Uh, and that is something you haven't discussed because I'm fascinated by this and I don't know even if it's covered or you've thought of it. Our generation, meaning the leading edge baby boomer and the younger baby boomer, had an existential threat and that was nuclear war. Mm-hmm. Uh, those of you who are listening can remember, as I can remember, going under my uh, seat and desk when I was five years old as a drill in kindergarten in case a bomb hit us. Now, this was very, very scary, but it did not last all our life. Uh, eventually, the Cold War was over, 
uh, this was a thing of the past. Nobody was building bomb shelters anymore, and it went out of our lives. The existential threat to my kids' generation and younger is the planet, is environmentalism, that we are just going to hell in a handbasket from that point of view. And they are scared. And that issue is not going to go away in their lifetime. So I'm just wondering when we come back, whether some of the, because you've looked at so many aspects of this, whether some of the threats that they are under, the environmental threat, the economic threat, now COVID came into their life, who knows what, is not uh, triggering some of these, what you call the random negative thoughts that are a little bit weird, let's say, as they Mm -hmm. were. You know, our generation, I'll leave you with this, if you look at our movies, they're about the creature from the Black Lagoon. Talk about random weird thoughts. We we express them in the movies. So when we come back, I want to lay this on, Dr. Tower. Aren't you glad you came? So nobody go anywhere. We'll be right back. Full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy. And I freely admit I'm inappropriate. For my age, da 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 da, da 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 da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit. Cause I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the fountain of truth, the fountain of truth about aging. And uh, I am here with Dr. Tara Thea Garajan, and we've been talking about something so fascinating to me, mental well-being and the generations. The problem is that in this incredible study that you can be part of about our own mental well-being across many modalities, not just our happiness, not just our cognition, but our social awareness, self-esteem, and so on, we're doing pretty good as the mature adults, at least comparatively to each younger generation. We talked a lot about the impact of um, of technology, and I do want to do a little bit of fast housekeeping. Go to adrianberg.com and be part of our family by subscribing to the, our newsletter. It is always free, and it sells nothing, by the way. This is a labor of love. You will see, you will see information on the United Nations NGO on Aging Committee, which I'm a member of. You can join it as well, because what we're trying to do is have age equality in all of its aspects. Last year, we worked on health equality. This year, we're working on digital equality. And it turns out that this digital use might be one of the things sinking our great mental well-being, at least for the younger generation. But you get, you'll get insights and opportunities for so many things that inv- enhance your life. So go to adrianberg, A-D-R-I-A-N-E-B-E-R-G.com and subscribe. Now, going back, going back to our guest, so Dr. Tara, uh, I talked at the end of the last segment about the existential threat that we boomers grew up with, and that was nuclear war. But it ended. Once the Cold War was over, it was kind of out of our lives. Uh, however, this business of planet issues, that's going to be for the entire lifespan of the younger generation. Do you see the kinds of issues that are being brought up? I mean, people say that COVID is just the beginning, that there'll be plague after plague. I mean, is that also affecting younger people in the way they're looking at life as opposed to the older generation? Have you seen any of that? 
Yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, we see specifically with COVID, for example, um, that the pandemic and specifically the social isolation had a much bigger impact on young people. And, and um, you know, so these kinds of external events definitely have an impact. That said, what I would, you know, I think human, uh, you know, human beings have always had hardship. Every generation can point to something. And, you know, there's so many people on the planet where who have hardships in, you know, their local environment, local data, yeah, other kinds of issues that are maybe more just specific to their own village or their own family or, uh, you know, their own um, community in some way. And so I think the thing is that, you know, part of the, the challenge that we have as human beings is really to say, you know, what is the kind of uh, how how what should we uh what should our mental well-being look like in order to handle these hardships and diver- uh, you know adversities that we face because we as human beings we will and so you know part of it is when you think about something like climate change when you think about something like um you know even economic challenges Part of it is we have to be able to cognitively, collectively solve these issues together. And what that requires are two things, not just the cognition part of our mental health and well-being, but it also requires our, you know, our, how we interact with one another, how we cooperate with one another. So to me, when we think about mental well-being, it's really about not just talking about, oh, how many people have disorders, but how as we as a society, how do we take on our big challenges? And is our ment- are, are we collectively, you know, uh, structured you know our mind structured in a way that it that we're capable of doing it so you know i think that's uh and that's where i see the challenges you know here we we're seeing things like younger people uh reporting that they have diminished focus and concentration and attention we're seeing a lot of people saying that their relationships with others are now much poorer uh is as in younger you know generations and i think that when we um that whatever it is societally that is causing us to approach the world in that way that is what is is really scary and that is what we'll have to tackle and now you know we talk a lot about geroscience and the and the aging brain the aging brain mm-hmm. Yeah, And so we, I think most of my audience knows, because I write about it and I talk about it so much, that fluid intelligence, meaning uh, how fast we learn, uh, it mm-hmm. does slow down. It does slow down, which is why mm-hmm. when, when we try to teach computer literacy, younger people who understand it get frustrated with us. Mm-hmm. They feel that we're not learning fast enough. On the other hand, we have crystallized intelligence, more wisdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, and And the wisdom is what comes into problem solving. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing from you is when there is a problem to solve, and there's plenty of problems always in yeah. every historic period. Uh, the older adult seems to be better equipped and the younger person has to grow into that older adult. So here's the big question. Yes. With the deficit in happiness and the greater stress, less socialization, one-on-one uh, for the younger generation, Nevertheless, will they put that behind them and age in the same way so that when they become in power, whether it's in their career or in politics or wherever, they'll have the same types of skills and their brain will be cognitively uh, able to get that, what you know the layman calls it wisdom, 
uh, the geroscientist calls it crystallized intelligence. But what it really means is you learn from experience and you can apply it to problem solving. Do you think there really would be a difference? Biologically, we say that the future of aging is living longer and healthier. That's the good news. Mm-hmm. We call it health span. But do you think that with that, we still are not going to be as healthy mentally as uh, as we age today? I, I can't say for sure, uh, obviously, but I think that there are two things that really, um, so I think there is an element of emotional maturing that certainly it will probably still exist. But I think when we're talking about, uh, you know, such a huge magnitude of difference with the younger generation, where we're talking about 44%, um, you know, experiencing a clinical level kind of, uh, you know, disorder or, you know, clinical level risks, uh, that, and that we're seeing a lot of the trends that came out, like like you talked about, the U-shaped happiness curve, right? When we look at those elements of mood and outlook and optimism, it's not U-shaped uh, in this data anymore. And the question is, is that now because we live in a different society that that, um, you know, that phenomenon is no longer valid? And if it's not valid, then that means something has changed very fundamentally and that this generation is now responding to, you know, a very different uh, structure of living, which, you know, and I'm I'm not a boomer generation, but, you know, even in my, I was pre-internet. And yeah, I think for a lot of people in these age groups, a part of it is having, you know, a group of people with whom you share some kind of, you know, long and long relationships where there's trust. And I think when those kinds of things break down, the ability to cooperate and start, you know, will, and if that persists, will it, uh, you know, will this generation have the same emotional maturing or will it suffer because it didn't have that first foundation that other generations had as they grew older? You know, uh, uh, as we end our show, the parallel here to exercise is amazing. We just did a webcast mm-hmm. with Dr. Uh, Daniel Lieberman and uh, Dr. Tom Rando on exercise. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Rando is a, ger- is a geroscientist, but Dr. Lieberman is an anthropologist. Mm-hmm. And what he said was, we were never meant to sit at a computer. We were never meant to sit all day anywhere, but we were meant to be out moving there was no such thing as a gym. You went out and you gathered your f- your food. Mm-hmm. And so what we're seeing here is something that's a disconnect between being a human being, which is to be moving, mm-hmm. and to being a, a contemporary human being, which is to be sitting. And you're almost saying the same thing. We were meant to be a social animal, to be out there in, in tribes, in groups, in teepees that were talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Um and now, and now there's something in between us, and that is a piece of equipment. So, uh, again, what uh, the difficulty that we all have behaving uh, in a way of moving, we, we all know that. It's hard mm-hmm. for us to go to the gym. It's hard for us to do this. And that we see already. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll happen with well-being too. It'll be hard for us to be empathetic or hard for us to solve problems together or be on a team this evolves, and I, I'm just I'm just so happy that there's someone like you looking at it. So let us finish by you giving the um, the uh, the website one more time for anybody who would like a self assessment and start to really think about this. Maybe bring it to your groups. All my listeners are volunteers. They they're, they're influential people. 
start to think about this, even in your book clubs. So tell us the um, the website for Sapien Labs one more time. Yeah, it's sapienlabs.org slash MHQ. And of course, that's going to be on our website, adrianberg.com. We thank you so much. And as we hope that COVID is lifting now, we're seeing signs of it. I'll say the what I used, uh, used to say. I had to stop myself for a year. Get out there, kids, and make it happen.